Crossroad International Church podcast. We're so glad you joined us. It is our prayer that God will use this message to bring comfort to those who are hurting, give hope to those who find themselves in what seems to be a hopeless situation, and to encourage the one who is struggling through a difficult season of life. For more sermon audio, resources, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit CICKuwait.com. We'd love to hear from you. So Psalm 23, and I'll be reading from the ESV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again just, uh, just give you this time, Lord God. We thank you uh, that you are uh, prepared even when, when life throws us some curveballs. And God, we thank you that you are faithful and gracious and loving. And so God, um, today isn't a surprise for you. So I just pray that uh, you're able to speak, Lord, through this message to our hearts. God, change us. Let us leave different than when we arrived. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of today's message is uh, Life Hurts, But God Heals. Life Hurts, But God Heals. Um, pretty much if we took a survey in this room or if a lot of you know each other, you know that almost everybody in this room, I'm sure, could attest to life hurts. Life hurts. But there are times, though, or, or maybe not everyone understands fully that God heals. Sometimes we know that, but perhaps there are certain areas in our life, especially things maybe from our childhood, or there's these horrific things that can happen in life. And if we're not careful, um, we don't allow God to fully heal those things. We, we kind of guard them or hold on to them. And so today, through this message, from a very familiar passage for most people, I hope to pull uh, uh, some truths out of this. And we're going to really just dial in on this, this, uh, this part that says, uh, you, prepare, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Okay? And what I want you to hear from that or to understand, and what's very intriguing, is notice that it says, in the presence of my enemies. All right? As Christians, we will go through life and we will be in the presence of enemies. Again, there's this uh, idea sometimes that once you become a Christian, it's all butterflies and fairy tales. And again, I can probably get a couple of amens from people in here to say that that's not true. You will go through difficult seasons. You will go through hard times, especially, interesting, interestingly enough, the more that you press in and are like Jesus, the more that you, you get, uh, a, you know, people are against you or things come against you. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. So... Because you're doing right, we've talked about this even in our Be Still series we just finished up, that that happens, and that's part of it. And because you receive opposition, that's probably an encouragement that you're doing something right. Okay? We are all exposed to the potential of being hurt every single day. Again, as most of you know, I was in the military, in the Army for eight years. When I was in Iraq, 
Uh, again, we were on a base there. And regardless of what was happening, I could be sitting having a conversation with my friends. We were very much in the presence of our enemies. There were people that were seeking to do us harm, even when we were not aware or we knew that, but we could not see those people. And so no matter what happened and how life was going in those moments, our enemies were seeking to destroy us. It's a good slide, right? Kind of sums it up. We, sometimes when we aren't aware, our enemies are lurking and looking for the attack. Now, again, most of what we will focus on today is more the internal hurts than the actual physical external hurts, though th that can be the result at times. All right, there are people in this world that would, and in my case, when the military, there are people that wanted to physically harm me and physically take my life. But we're going to dial in more to kind of the, some of the internal things that we deal with. So I want to look at where, where are some areas or where do our hurts or pain come from? Where does this come from? The first, first place that we can see it, it can come from is ourselves, okay? Ourselves. And in James 1, 1, 1, 13 through 14, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There are times when we make decisions. There are times when we make choices and do things that are bad, okay? There are, again, it's not something that's as obvious as, hey, there's a fire, let me put my hand in it. No, there are things like sin, and there are temptations in this world that we can be lured into that look good, but they have a very negative and bad result, okay? And because of our choices and because of our desires to sin, we can be led into areas where we cause damage to ourselves. We can do things that brings damage to ourselves. So we, probably more times than not, we want to blame other people. We want to blame God at times. Uh, we want to put the blame anywhere else but here, right? But probably most of the time, if we're honest, we get ourselves into much of the trouble we experience in life. All right? You don't have to say amen to that one. I'll just take it anyway. So ourselves, so that's, that is an area that I first wanted to address that, that where some hurts and pain can come from. The second area is others, as we touched on just a second ago. Matthew 5, 11 through 12 says, You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you of, of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isn't that amazing? Be glad and rejoice. Yeah? Do we do that all the time? I'm being persecuted. Life is really hard and horrible, and this person's mean. Yay, thank you, Jesus. Right? Is that our response? <laughs> right? Yeah, it is. It's, it should be. I know we don't get there all the time, myself included. But it, it says that, that others are, are a source of our pain. Okay? Others can call us, cause us issues and problems. Again, you are blessed when they insult and persecute you. Again, do not be surprised when it comes. Do not be surprised when it comes because others will hurt you. And let me just put another point in here. That's really what gets us into a lot of trouble as well too, doesn't it? When you place uh, an unrealistic expectation in people. People are not God. They're not Jesus. They, they will fall. They will fail. 
All right? I have, there are great relationships. I'm looking at your faces, and most of you I, I really care for. Some of you are growing on me. Um, but, uh, but no, there's, we have great relationships in this, in this uh, church, but, but realize that we're all people. And if anything, that's where, places where we need to extend grace and understanding. Because most people in here don't intentionally hurt you, but that, that can be a result at times. So just understand that going into it and don't put all your faith in people. The third place is spiritual, spiritual attacks. Ephesians 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, right? Against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, all right? So again, always remember when somebody is hurting you or maybe you've made a bet, there are times when there is a spiritual attack on you. There's, there's an enemy that wants to kill you, all right? Again, we live in this world here. We see this with our own eyes, the physical world, and so we can sometimes forget that there is a spiritual battle that's happening, all right? So there are times. Now, again, please don't take this to the other extreme where there's, a, you know, as they say, a devil under every chair, and, you know, it's not like you, if you are a Christian, you walk with the Almighty God, Right? And the authority that he has, you walk in that. And so, again, there are times, and you need to sense when you are in those battles, but you are a child of, of God. All right? And trust me, he cares for you more than you know. And so he's always working on your behalf. All right? So what are some ways we, we process and try to deal with hurts on our own? Some ways that we process and, and try to deal with some of these hurts on our own. All right? Um, one of the ways is, is that we run. Okay? Run. If there's a fire in the building, what do you do? You run, right? I hope. You run. You get out. Well, again, in our, in our internal hurts and the pains that can happen in life, um, this might look something like uh, with substance abuse, right? People turn to alcohol, drugs. Um, again, a lot of these habits stem from pain, from hurting. When people don't want to hurt anymore, they want to drown out something and they can't get past it, they turn to alcohol or drugs to check out. You know, they check out for a while. But what happens every time you, you come out of that stupor, the problem is still there. The pain is still there. And, and it, sometimes it's even worse than it was. All right? Another way that we run is through relationships. Through relationships. We run to people. We run... Um, Again, trying to, to find a way that something that makes us feel better, whether that's a person or a substance. Another thing is money, right? Money. And you look at, well, where I'm from in the States, you know, Hollywood and things like that. These are some of the most ex richest people probably in the world. They have lots of money, but they have very little happiness and joy in their life because they're still searching. They're still trying to drown something, these, these pains that they can't get rid of. So, so running is one way that we try, again, not successfully, uh, to escape our hurts. Another way is through worry. We spend more time thinking about what could happen instead of making something happen. Again, if, if you've lived for a minute in this world, probably most of you understand that many times, many of the things in life that you, you were concerned with and, 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 and afraid of, typically once you dealt with them, you found that they were much smaller than you, you had pictured in your head, right? The more time we sit, the more time we worry, and the more time we think about these things, and the more time we hold on to these things, 
the more the, the bigger it gets. All right. And so a lot of times when we worry, it, it, it really makes the problem much bigger than it actually is. All right. So worry is another way. Another another thing that we do to try to deal is is um, we rehearse them. All right. We rehearse these hurts. We allow our mind, our emotions to relive the hurt. And that can lead to unforgiveness and bitterness, bitterness, which sets into us. All right. If you've ever, I've come across some older people in my lifetime, um, and maybe in the past something happened, uh, or a, maybe a spouse mistreated them, and and you see this like, the world is just everything is horrible to them. Again, a, a marching band and a parade could go outside their house and go by, and they would find everything to be too loud, or they were out of step, or I prefer red uniforms versus blue uniforms. Something they would find wrong, and you, you know, there's these people in life that are just, they are grouchy about everything, right? Maybe some of us have grandparents that are like that, okay? Um, there, and, and, and if you talk to them for any length of time, you can trace it back. There was something that happened typically maybe through, again, somebody in their life, whether it was a parent or a spouse. There was something that took place, and instead of releasing that and letting, giving it over to God, they, they held on to it, and therefore unforgiveness and bitterness set in. And those are very dangerous things, and those are things that really go from internal, and they, they come out, don't they? Bitter people are not fun to be around. So, again, we don't want to sit there and rehearse over and over what happened. And then the, the last thing is resentment. <clears throat> resent. We resent. Hurt, hurts left undealt it, uh, with uh, will produce a seed of resentment, which eventually grows into a life of revenge. Into a life of revenge. Again, we've have, we have friends that there was uh, a marriage that didn't work, and now he's remarried, and... But the, the, ex, the ex-wife still is just, is just nasty all the time. It wants to make him pay for whatever reason. Um, and, and that's her sole purpose in life. And who wants to live a life like that? Who, you know, they, she can't see past like, what she's missing out on in the world and, and, and her life, what she could be doing, because she's so bent on making his life miserable. And this is, you know, again, this is this idea that, that we can when we leave things and don't deal with them properly, what they can turn into and how they can derail us in life. So what then can we learn from Psalm 23 and verse 5 and how to deal with the hurts of life, how to deal with our enemies? Psalm 23, 5 says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. One thing I want to point out here really quick is um, if you read through Psalm 23, there's a shift here. This is where there's a shift uh, as, uh, again, this is written by David. And he, he shifts gears here because, again, in the beginning, it starts with what? The Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. Now here we see this shift, meaning you prepare a table before me. Okay? He's no longer talking about God. Now he is speaking to God directly, all right? And he moves into this, this, these couple verses where he's using the word, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. All right, so now it's become very personal. Now David is, is speaking to God directly. He's not just talking about, and we've talked about this through the Be Still series. If you remember, uh, remember like through prayer and stuff, you know, you thank God, 
you know, you repent. There's this time initially where you're worshiping God, and then there's a time where it becomes personal, doesn't it? Where, Lord, I need your help today. God, will you save me? You're speaking directly to God. And, and it's really a, an important thing to take note that David had moved from this place of talking about God to a, a place of talking to God. And we need to do the same as well. Again, he says, you prepare a table before me. You prepare a table before me. Now, <clears throat> when I first, you know, well, I mean, I've heard this all growing up through my childhood, and you just say it, but I, I really, when I really stopped to study and to think about it, it's like, I, again, God, why a table, right? Why not a canoe? Or how about like a catapult? Or maybe why don't you prepare like a, an M16 gun or a big cannon in the presence of my enemies? Because then I can do something about it, right? But it says he prepares a table before me. Now, again, when you're in battle or you're in a defensive posture and you know that people are surrounding you, I think the last thing on your mind is like, hey, I think I'm going to sit down and have a nice meal. Right? So, I mean, it's very peculiar if you, if you don't understand and, and, read, and read more and understand this. Why a table? Now, a table or, or the, the idea of sharing a meal is a symbol of fellowship and communion. Now stop and get this for a second. This table that is being prepared, this is showing you that God is demonstrating that he has communion and fellowship with you. Now, when you're in a battle, if you have the God of this universe that created in a moment, everything that you, you see and know and the things you don't see in the universe holds the universe in the palm of his hands. How many want to be friends with that guy? Yes, I do, okay? Because, you know, the whole playground thing, my dad can beat up your dad. That's where you're at, all right? I'm in fellowship. I'm in communion with God Almighty. You're about to be in trouble. So I'm going to sit down and have a meal because I can, because God the Father is here. So he's showing this idea of fellowship, the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. It says that Enoch walked with God. But perhaps the most amazing of all is it says that David was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. And that was God's testimony about David. God said that. Can you imagine if God actually said about you that you are a man or you are a woman of my, after my own heart? And what that means? that God would acknowledge that in David? This is huge. But it's showing that David had fellowship with God and by having that communion and that relationship with God, all the mistakes that we know David made, he was a man after God's own heart. He sought nothing more than to be like God and what he showed him and to be more like him. David knew the heart of God because he spent time in close fellowship with him. And this is what the table represents. All right. This is what the table represents. There is significance in having a meal together. If we uh, um, invite people over to our house, okay, I probably shouldn't show my cards here, but I'm going to. Uh, if we invite you over and, and we invite you over um, just to, to hang out for like two minutes or ten minutes, if you stand at our door and we don't let you into the house, that's saying something about our relationship. If we let you come in and maybe sit down for a few minutes and serve you a glass of water, you know, we're a little, we're doing a little better, right? But the people that you invite over and share a meal with, okay, 
The people that you don't like, now again, just look at me, and nobody next to you will know the difference. The people that you don't like, you don't invite over for a meal. If you have to interact with them, you let's, okay, well, let's do this quick. In fact, I'll meet you at your car. You just stay there. I'll come downstairs, we'll talk, and now then I'll come back. You don't need to come inside. But people that we have fellowship with, people that we have communion with, we sit down at a table. There's something about sitting and having a meal together, right? And so this is something to think about. And now in the Old Testament, we can see numerous times that God called the people, the children of Israel, to have a meal with him around Mount Sinai. If you recall, you know, Moses is going up the mountain, God is there, and the people would have a meal. This was their as close as they would want it, they wanted to get to God, but they were still in the presence of him, they would have a meal because they sought to have communion with him and fellowship. We look in the New Testament and Jesus spent a lot of time eating with people, didn't he? This is where we as pastors get this from. We always ask to meet you for lunch, don't we? Because we like to eat and it was modeled by Jesus, so you can't hold it against us. So this is the idea, though, is, is that there's something special about a meal. And this is why Jesus was often called a friend of sinners, is because he was seen eating. What wasn't he? He would go to somebody's home, or they would invite him, come to my house for a meal tonight. And he would go. And so all the religious folks would get all upset because he's hanging out with the sinners here having a meal. But, you know, the, the, the point was is that he was building relationship. And he, as we know, you know, the sick do not need a doctor, or I mean the healthy people don't need a doctor, the sick people do, correct? And so Jesus would go to where the sick were. He didn't have time for the religious folks. And this is why, again, we see why he made the religious people so upset. We don't see very often where he had meals with the religious, do we? Most of the time he was saying something to, to fire them up because they would come at him. Jesus and the disciples shared the Last Supper even in one of the final moments as a group, what did they do? They sat and they ate together. Again, fellowship, relationship with God. Even Luke 7.34 says, the, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. All right? So there's this idea of, of this relationship, and this is something we can pull from Psalm 23. Now, let's, let's take this line, this, this phrase, in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. Hopefully you're not in the presence of any enemies currently in here. This is hopefully a happy place. If you are, then come talk to me and we'll, we'll work that out. We can schedule an appointment over lunch. Um, so in the presence of my enemies, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that we are removed from the dangers and hurts of this world. Listen, I think I've said this maybe 100 times. Here comes 101. We do no justice to people. We set people up. When we bring them into the church and say, listen, all you got to do is say this short prayer and like a magic trick, you know, your life is going to be much different. Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus does things when people genuinely accept Christ. There is a change. But when we paint this picture again, that life is all this, this you know, rosy and everything. It's just you wake up every morning you know, the birds are singing, you fly open the windows, and the, you know, the sun is there, and the clean air, you know, which is not present in this country. But it's, you know, it's, it's not fair to these people, because then they're like, when, as soon as trials come, what happens? They're questioning everything, right? They're like, what in the world? And so we do no justice to people when we say, listen, just accept Christ, and it's all going to be good. Now, in one sense, it is all going to be good when it's all said and done and we're in eternity. But during this 
walk on earth during our life, we are going to have some trials and some struggles. We should expect that. When you use a term like carry your cross, that should not bring any picture of happiness to you at all. All right, your cross isn't blinged out and bedazzled, pink, you know, and it's made out of styrofoam and all happy. No, it is a rugged, rugged wooden, heavy cross that hurts, that's painful, that's gonna, you're gonna be dragging it. It's not just gonna be carried under your arm. Carrying your cross should imply a struggle at times, right? Right. So, again, in the presence of my enemies, we are in a battle whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Okay? You can stick your head in the sand. It doesn't change anything, all right? You can try to flood your life with happiness and fun things. The battle is still going to be there. You can drink it away. You can do whatever. And... Again, you're going to wake up and it will still be there. All right. And in the middle of our battles, though, the Lord is ready to intervene and give us a time of refreshing. We all experience hurts and go through the valleys of life. It is simply unavoidable. But the Lord is with us and steps in to minister to us when we need it most. Again, uh, I keep going back to military because of this whole context but, you know, when you go to basic training, um, what their job is, is to show you how they take you to the place where you think is your end. Correct? Oh, sorry. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Merlin. You wouldn't know anything about this, right? I don't think. Were you in the military? Okay, sorry. Anybody in the military at some point? Okay, a few people. So, again, when you're in your training, you go to this place. They push you and push you and push you until you can't go anymore. And then what do they do? They push you further, and you, you're able to, to perform and to do things beyond what you could ever do. Again, the last three days of my basic training, I ran on probably three to four hours of sleep total. We were still doing missions. We were doing things, but they were pushing you to the edge so that you could see you can go further and, than you thought you could. And so, again, God is there, and he knows what your, where your end is. And when you truly get to your end... He's there to pick you up, to give you strength, and to, and to keep you going forward. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Now, in David's time, as when he's writing this, uh, and still in some cultures today, the host assumes responsibility for the well-being and safety of the guest. Okay? So whoever's hosting a meal or, or hosting you takes on your safety and caring for you. Now, there's, um, there's a movie out called uh, Lone Survivor. Um, it's very, it's pretty violent, but I mean, it's an accurate portrayal, so don't, don't get me wrong, but just know that it's very violent if you watch it. So, uh, but it, it shows uh, in June of 2005, there was a U.S. military operation called Red Wing, which took place consisting of members from the, the Navy SEAL Team 10, okay? And uh, the one uh, guy in particular, Marcus Luttrell, um, I mean, again, they got overrun they couldn't get extracted. And so everybody on the team died except for him. And I think it was like 16 or 18 uh, soldiers were lost in this confrontation, um, most of them special forces. And, but what happened is, is he found this village. This was in Afghanistan. And he found this village. And the, the leader of the village, there you go on the screen now, um, is Mohammed Ghalab. And what happens is he stumbles into the village, and he's he's probably moments away from death, 
I mean, he's bleeding. He, again, you watch the movie. I mean, they were literally throwing themselves off of cliffs trying to escape. And they're like rolling down, breaking things, bones and everything, just trying to live, you know. And so he's found by this guy um, and he takes him to his village. And then the interesting part is uh, he's, uh, Galab actually, he finds him out and he, he's the one who carries him and brings him back to the village, brings him to his home. And then soon uh, there was the insurgent group was being led by another man named uh, Ahmed Saw, And he shows up demanding for this American soldier. And what the amazing thing was is Muhammad Galab said, no, he is my guest here. Now, what this meant is that this insurgent group that was coming in, that pretty much ran the region, they said, do you understand what you're, you're doing here? And so they, at one point, they, they rushed in and they, they physically, forcefully took the American soldier and they were literally at the point of killing him. And that's when uh, this village leader and all of the, the men of the village come out with their weapons and they said, you will let him go. He is our guest here. Okay? And if you go on and you read more about the story, uh, the village came under heavy attack from the insurgents. Many people were killed because of this stance. However, this is actually taken, uh, I believe, in Texas. Uh, and this was a few years, this was like a few years following. And they were reunited. And again, he saved uh, uh, Marcus Luttrell's life um, at, at a very heavy cost to the people that he knew. But this gives you an understanding and an idea of this idea of preparing a table. When you are my guest, God is saying to us, when you are my guest, I take on the responsibility of protecting you and caring for you and, and taking care of you and fighting for you. Okay? And so we can, we can understand this a little better, I think, uh, in this context. Moving on, unite my head with oil. All right? Now, again, if you study... Old Testament anointing, um, pretty much I would, if I were to do that today, I would have somebody come up next to you and take a big jug of oil and just start pouring it over your head. How many ladies, how many women here would enjoy that? Right? I know because you don't spend like three or four hours on your hair. Right? Okay. Um, nobody like that in here. So, but you would not appreciate that, right? But, but in, the, in the past when, again, you look at the people... Uh, uh, back in the Old Testament, I mean, imagine being in the desert and, and journeying across and you're filthy and you smell because you haven't been able to shower. Um, your skin's probably dried out and cracked from the, the dryness of the air and the, the wind and everything. And so oil was fragrant and it was very refreshing because it, it, it nourished the skin, it brought moisture back to the body and it, was, it felt very good. And so it was very much welcomed, this idea of, of pouring oil. And so this is the idea of when you anoint my head with oil, it's not, you know, taking the little dot like we do now boop, on the forehead. No, this is covering you with oil, all right? And this is symbolic, which we're going to see here in a moment. But you anoint my head with oil. The word anoint here is uh, dasham and can be translated refresh, okay? So again, it's this idea of refreshing. In Matthew 26, verse 6, it says, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Again, uh, I read some commentaries. I think it, some people say it was, like a, it was worth like a year's wages. Very expensive, and she dumps it onto Jesus' head. 
to anoint him, showing you know, the love she had. But there, here's this idea of anointing and what it, what it looked like in Old Testament times. Now, again, oil can represent the spirit of God, and it can also signify joy. Joy. Now, this is also to show that, again, I think we've talked about this before. I don't remember. But, again, happiness is not joy. All right? Joy is not happiness. You can be in the worst moment in your life. You can be in the biggest struggle of your life. And you can still have the joy of the Lord. And he even says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You wouldn't need strength if you were in a great split. If you're laying out on the beach in a lawn chair, right, and, and just in some tropical place with no care, you don't need strength at that point. You're just relaxing, okay? The joy of the Lord is our strength means that we, when we need it in times of trial and trouble, that the joy of the Lord is there. And this oil can represent uh, the Spirit of God and also represents that joy that we're able to have. Now, you cannot go to a funeral, you cannot be in a struggle and be happy. Right? You either have sorrow or you have happiness. Okay? You can't mix the two. I don't have happy sorrow. Um, no, I'm, you know, when my mother died or when my father died, there was sorrow. Did I know happiness would come back? Did I know that life would move on at some point? Sure, I did. But in that time, am I happy that they're in a better place? Yeah, kind of, but it doesn't feel like that right now. My happiness was not plugged in at that time because I was engaged in my sorrow. Now, I still had the joy of the Lord because both of my parents knew Jesus, so I know that they are in heaven and they're, you know, awaiting our arrival. So, I mean, there was joy there through that difficult season, but happiness was nowhere to be found. But it did return, of course. So, again, do not confuse happiness with joy. Um, moving on to the, to the next part, my cup overflows. Now, the HarperCollins Bible Dictionary explains that the term cup here is often used metaphorically, all right, to refer to the limited and fixed amount of what God allows one to have in life. Okay, so our cup, all right? Some people's cups are empty. Some people's cups are kind of full, all right? And, you know, we can see that with different people. Now, in, in uh, Psalm 11:6, it says, The wicked's cup may consist of a scorching wind. In Isaiah 51:17, there's a cup of wrath. In Isaiah 51:22 and, and Zechariah 12:2, it says a cup of staggering or reeling. In Psalms 116, a cup of salvation. In Jeremiah 16:7, a cup of consolation. All right, and then in the Last Supper, of course, we see Jesus identified his, to his disciples the cup of wine, and with that they drank from, represented his blood or his life. All right, and which in Matthew uh, 26 he further identifies as the blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So there are many cups in the Bible that's spoken of. A worshiper may give thanks for an overflowing cup, uh, like in Psalm 23, a life of abundance. So we see these cups in the Bible as rep representation of, uh, of a life and what's happening. So again, my cup overflows means that we are receiving so much from God that we, we're overflowing. All right, He's lavishing his presence, his joy, everything that he is on us because he is God and he is much more than we can handle. All right. Uh, interesting story. Uh, there was a book in the 1800s called the Oriental, uh, Oriental Customs and it speaks of a, a guy, named, uh, his name's Captain Wilson and he writes about an experience that he had in one of his journeys um, and he's referring back to the psalmist here, uh, this idea of this cup overflowing 
And he says that he had uh, this ceremony that was performed to him in the house of a great and rich Indian, uh, in the presence of large, a large crowd. All right? And what happened is uh, the man of the house came out and he poured upon his hands, Captain uh, Wilson's hands, uh, and, and arms, a delightful perfume. Okay? So he starts putting this, this stuff on him. And then uh, what, what continues from there is he puts a, a golden cup into his hands. All right? Now, again, picture this because we don't, we're not like this these days. You know, we have McDonald's cups. But there's this lavish golden cup now in his hand. And now notice this. It says that he, he began pouring wine into it until the point it ran over. Okay? And what this did is, is he continued pouring. Now, this would be a, a major party foul, wouldn't it? If you had this, you know, you, some, you're pouring somebody's drink and you're just push, and it's going all over their hands and all over the place. But what it was is that it was, as, as he did this, the man assured him that at the same time that it was a great pleasure to him to receive Captain Wilson and that he should find a rich supply for his needs in the man's house. This was symbolic of what the man had, this rich man. And the way to show this was to pour probably an expensive wine, I'm sure, to the point where it's overflowing and, and flowing out onto the ground. Okay? So again, in Psalm, this idea of my cup overflows, God has everything you need and then some. Your problem, your struggle, the enemies you're facing, whatever they are, whatever it is, whoever they are, are not even close to what God has for you. You need to get this and understand this. Because what happens is we hear these things, we hear these ideas, and like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Because we don't experience it, we, we have a hard time connecting. But it's, it's a difference of hearing it in this room today and going out and actually living a life that's representative of the God that you serve that is much more than anything you're facing today. Is there struggle? Is there pain? Is there hurt? Yes, there is. Don't, don't misinterpret me. All right, or misunderstand what I'm saying. All right, I empathize with you. I understand that there's a struggle and there's hurt. But understand, too, that God is bigger. That God is bigger. All right, and he loves you, and he will journey with you through this. As I start bringing this to a close, I want us to look uh, when Jesus was sitting with his disciples and Jesus prays to his heavenly father. I want you to catch this from John 17. He says this, he says, Now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. Okay? I have given them your word. The world hated them. All right? When you say yes to Jesus, you move yourself into a category where naturally the world is going to hate you. All right? Now, it doesn't mean that they show it all the time. It just means that there will be a, this conflict when you come across people of the world. Okay? Expect it. The world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Now, here it comes. I am not praying that you take them out of the world. Why not? <laughs> Why couldn't you just said, Lord, let's hit the eject button and get on out, right? Why do I have to stay here? Why do I have to go through this hard time, this journeying? Why, do, why does all this have to happen? And he's, but then he says this, 
but that you protect them from the evil one. Okay? So there's a reason we are left here. There is a reason that we go through trials and struggles. Um, I'm not going to get into all of these things, but really quick, you know, one of the things is that we are being made into the image of Christ. We're becoming more like Jesus. And listen, if you could do that through having all the money in the world and all happiness and just going, then, then I'm sure God would have no problem with that. But the reality is, is that our nature, our, our sinful flesh, the way we are wired, is when things are going good, the last thing we tend to think about is God. Because you don't need him. You don't need a support. You don't need any help because you have everything. Again, you see these rich people, and they have everything. They have stuff you couldn't even imagine. You know, the, 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 the money is not an issue. Things are not an issue. But then when sickness comes to their child, suddenly they're looking for an answer that medicine can't answer, that money can't buy. And so they're calling every single televangelist, every pastor, uh, lots of other religions. They're trying to find an answer because they're going through something that their own means cannot resolve. So it is through the struggle, it is through the trial, it is through the pain that we are drawn to Jesus, that our dependence shifts from ourselves outward to somebody, to a God that is able. Again, I, I, I'll, I'll just refer to myself. I wish I could get this, this thing worked out. Like, God, give me, yeah, I wish I could have all the money in the world and no cares and just no worries here on earth. But the reality is, is as soon as you give me that, I know myself, I will not speak to you for a long time. Not any more than, hey, high five God out the door and, and go on with my life. God wants relationship. And this is why the word of God says it's through our weakness he is made strong. Because what happens when we have everything? When we're able to do everything ourselves, as we've talked about many times, the glory comes here. It's all about me. Look at me. Look what I can do. All right? It's through the trial and it's through the struggle. And we have the confidence, as it says in John, though, that although we are not taken from this world right away, God is with us and that he is protecting us from the evil one. God never promised us that we wouldn't experience hurts in life. He only promised us he would be there with us through them all. And that in the end, we can find healing for our hurts and our pains. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. That's something you could take that phrase and sit on it probably for a week and try to wrap your head around that. Power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, again, we all know about the word therefore. Don't make me preach on it anymore. We know that we need to look. It's hinging off that previous statement. And now because of what he just said, because he said, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast. This is Paul speaking. All the more about my weakness. How many lead with that in a conversation? Hi, my name's Dell. Here's my problems. I'm a bad communicator. I don't like to call people. Uh, you know, you don't go, you don't lead with that, do you? All right. I will most gladly boast in all, all the more in my, about my weakness so that Christ's power may me reside in me. So, 
Again, here it comes. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures because of Christ. How many of you read that verse that way? Thank you, Lord, today for my insults and catastrophes. Thank you, God, for the persecutions because I don't have enough. And if you could add in a, a dash of pressures, that would be great. Who prays like that? Again, no, you're, you're in good company. We don't pray like that, but understand, again, Paul understood this. Why? Because of Christ. For when I am weak, then he is strong. Right? We say it all the time. God, it's all about you. Lord, it's all about you. We sing it in our songs, but in our hearts, there's something that likes attention. There's something that we want to, there's a pridefulness that can come out if we're not careful. And if we can truly say that it is because of Christ, Lord, let me be weak so that people can see you in my life. When you're going through the trial, when you're going through the struggle, when you're going through the pain, Again, God does, he cares far less about the outcome of that as he does how you carry yourself through that trial. Why? Because everyone is watching you. When trouble, when struggles, when pain comes, we have an opportunity as Christians, and this is why we can say, Lord, I didn't ask for this, but I thank you for it, because why? At the end of this, Lord, I pray that you are able to get all the glory, that I, as I journey through this pain, let let them see Jesus. I shared this story with you many times when we lost our child. Again, in our minds, let God, let this child live so that we can show everybody around us that you are God and you are, you can do this. But then he died. My son died in my hands. God, where are you? And I think I've, I've told you before too, I mean, there was one of the security guards brought us flowers because he saw us as we walked through the, the, the many visits, you know, because we were in the emergency for many days. And again, I had to leave my two sons, Isaac, they wouldn't let them come in. So then I'm leaving them with this stranger and he sees how we're carrying ourselves. I never stopped. And I, I honestly, I never stopped and said, uh, you know, the sinner's prayer with him and never witnessed him, but he saw something in us happening and how we carried ourselves. And I pray that he saw Jesus through the process. He didn't see me become violent with the doctors or yell at the nurses. You know, he saw me. Maybe he saw me praying in the waiting room. I don't know. But I pray that everybody, even to this day, God is using this story. Even now I'm sharing with you so that you see that Jesus is God and he will journey with you. The Lord is my shepherd. He's journeying. He's walking. He's there. He cares about you. He sees your pain, but he's there. But will you allow him to receive the glory through your pain? Listen, don't waste the trip to the place of pain and agony without letting God do what he wants to do. Because do you know why? You'll make it through there, but he's just like the children of Israel. You're going to go on another lap around the wilderness until you get it right. Because he loves you. Okay? Learn it the first time. Learn it the first time. My grace is sufficient for you. I like this quote from C.S. Lewis. Musicians, you can uh, come. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our, in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. 
It is a, his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's amazing when we're going through the struggle and the pains and the trials of life, isn't it? It's, it's, it's amazing, as many of you probably can attest to, the depths you're able to go uh, with your relationship with God. You're able to hear him. You, you find a, a new love and desire for scripture because it, it is refreshing to you during those times. And I promise you, speaking from experience, through the many things that we've dealt with here in the past seven years, I can tell you that I'm closer to God now only because of those trials that we have come through. While I would have never signed up for it, while I would have never would have taken a number for it or asked for it, it came and I had a decision. Is this going to make me bitter or is it going to make me better? Right? We have that decision. Every time one comes, what will I allow God to do? Am I going to sit here like a little kid and stomp my feet and you know, put my fists up in the air? Or am I going to let God have his full work, complete his full work in me and speak and minister? And not, it's not just about me, though, is it? That's just the beauty of what, how God is. He does things in us while he is, he is affecting the rest of the world. And the rest of the world is watching how we carry ourselves. Pain is not bad in one sense. It lets us know that something is wrong. Right? If you uh, break your arm, imagine if there was no pain. You know, so you're walking around, your arm, your, your hands down here, just dangling. Just, you know, and so you're like, do, 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 and your hands all like this, and there's no pain involved. How do you know that there's a problem? Other than you see this hand flapping, of course. But isn't pain what shows us that there's a problem? I don't feel good. I think Pastor Steve right now knows there's something wrong. Right? Thank you, Pastor Steve. Take one for the team. Great illustration. He is uncomfortable right now. He knows there is something happening in his body that is not right. All right? When we come to moments of pain, when we come to these things, it is, it is a sign for us that, again, it's, something is happening. There's something wrong. And so, again, going back to... This, the title is Life Hurts, But God Heals, okay? When God is showing you in your life these hurts and these pains, and what's interesting is, again, Dr. Joshua is here, I know there's doctors, you know, how important it is that, that it doesn't just heal, but it has to heal properly. It has to heal properly. You know, when we get stitches, or something, or, you know, something is, it has to be done right. I remember when I broke my arm as a kid, and I, I looked down when they were setting, I was uh, four or five, and I looked down, and the doctor's fingertips were white. They were, he was squeezing. I had like four people, because I was young, and so I was flailing all over the place, but there was, I cannot tell you the amount of pain that I was going through, as the, especially as a child, but they were doing that for my benefit, weren't they? They had to get it set in the right place, so that when they put the cast on, it would set properly and heal the right way. Maybe you've heard of stories where they, the brakes heal wrong, and what they have to do, they have to re-break it again so that it can be set properly. Again, pain is not always as bad. Pain lets us know there's something wrong. And so I would ask you today, in this service, we're going to close with a, a song. Um, and during that time, just, I, would, I would ask that you just ask God, Lord, is there, are there things in my life, is there something in my life that I haven't been honest with or dealt with or looked at is there something that hasn't healed properly? Have I been holding on to an offense 
from my family or friends from long ago? Is, is there anything that's hindering the relationship I have with you? Another question is, is the pain that I'm going through, the struggle that I'm going through, are you receiving the glory through it? Or do I walk around like this? And when I have success, I just point at myself and, yeah, I, I, I choose, choose to be happy today and I'm, I'm going to have a good attitude. And Are you giving all glory to God through the trial? Psalm 23.5, here's uh, Dell's translation, if you will, <laughs> interpretation of it. Psalm 23.5 is an all-you-can-eat buffet that we didn't have to prepare ourselves. It's put on for us by a loving Lord who lavishes upon us refreshment to heal our hurts and fills us with his joy to the point that we can't even contain it anymore, all while our enemies are present, but yet helpless against our host. God is present in your hurt. He is there, he sees it, and he is perfecting what he has started in you. He's bringing you to a place, to a finished work. I had a Bible professor, again, I, I shared this before, um, and he always said, at the end of his classes, he said, just remember, he said, life is not always fair, but God is always faithful. Life is not always fair, but God is always faithful. All right? Things happen in life. Again, there's going to be a long line in heaven, I'm sure, if, as long as Adam and Eve made it. Uh, probably to see them. I'll be there as well. You know, um, I think a lot of people want to talk to them and say, what, did you just, could you have just gone without it? You know, uh, please? <laughs> Do you understand what you did after that? So, Again, we are all subject to these things because we live in a fallen world and we are descendants of, of Adam and Eve. However, God is always faithful and God is journeying with us as we go through this. Would you stand? Let me pray for you. Jesus, we... Um, God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this, this image that I hope we can just really latch onto that you are preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. God, we see that when hurts come and that they will come, Lord, and how we handle that, Father, is so critical. And God, I pray for each one here today, Lord God, is I would be foolish to think that there's not uh, one here today that's, uh, not, that's not hurting. God, because we have them. Some of them great, some of them small. But nonetheless, we deal with them. And so, God, I, I pray that through those trials and through those struggles, Lord, that you are perfecting the work that you started in us. God, I pray for anyone in here today that doesn't know you, Lord, that they would, uh, again, ask you, uh, that they would confess their sins to you and that they would ask you into their hearts. And again, with the understanding that life, it might not necessarily get better all the time, but that they won't be journeying alone anymore. That they will have Jesus with them. That they will have you with them alongside as their shepherd to lead them and to guide them. And that ultimately life will be perfect one day uh, when we enter into eternity. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope, Lord, of our future. And God, that through all the struggles and trials in this lifetime, Lord, we can look ahead to what's, what's ahead. And God, not that we miss out on what's here and that we miss our opportunity to grow, or, but God, more importantly, we, Lord, that we don't miss the opportunity to share Jesus with the world through our lives and how we carry ourselves. 
So, God, I pray that you just um, uh, today and through this week ahead, Lord God, that uh, you would just show us, Father, areas in our life, Father, um, especially those areas we don't realize where the hurt still lingers. Maybe there's, again, that, that, that pain, that, that scar, Lord, that we're kind of protecting, uh, that we kind of cover, and we're not able to enter into relationships or new relationships because of past hurts. So, God, there's just so many areas that we can be hurt in. But, God, I pray that we look to you with your unconditional love, the love that carried you to the cross for our sins so that you could make a way for us to have a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. So God bless each one here today, and we thank you for that. And now I'll pray the benediction. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.